Welcome back to another installment of the Remso Republic. We are back after our month and a half long break from season one. Things are getting crazy once again. And no, it's not because of the upcoming inauguration. It's about the fact that if you're here in Virginia, we have another election coming up within the next year. Now, but before you decide to just, I don't don't know, like stop listening, hang up, unsubscribe, you know, unfollow me on all social media, burn your computer, leave the country. I know. It's tiring. We, we just went through this. We just went through the craziest election cycle ever. Ever. If you've been listening from season one, you understand that things don't just end after the election. There's so many other crazy things that occur. And if you remember how things were in 2013 and 2014, you understand that Virginia leads the way for the rest of the country. Where Virginia goes, the South goes. And where the South goes, the country goes. It's like that musical. I forgot what it was called. 1776. Anyway, I'm getting off track. I want to start focusing on this because this is going to be the election that really kind of paints a course for not just how our national politics go, not just how our state politics go, but we're we're seeing a shift in the electoral landscape. And if you're from Virginia, there's one person you probably do know. His name is Delegate Nick Freitas. Sir, how are you doing? Doing well, Remza. How are you doing? Outstanding. Uh, for those of those listening today who aren't here in the Commonwealth, they are across the country and they haven't heard of you, can you give a brief introduction to yourself? Uh, sure. I'm, I'm newly elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, last year was my first session. Um Worked in the Republican Party since I was I was little, but it was never my goal to be in public office necessarily. So I uh, served in the military for 11 years, uh, married to my wife, Tina, for almost 18 years now. And we have uh, three kids, Lily, Luke and Allie. Outstanding. So you've you've been elected. You've served for about a year going forward. Has your time in office kind of changed the way you've seen how public policy works? I mean, are you excited with the future going forward or are there things that make you kind of nervous? How have things been since you first got elected to where you are now and where you see everything going forward? Um, It's kind of a mixed bag overall. I mean, I I don't think the the schoolhouse rock version of how a bill becomes a law is is necessarily – I mean, that's helpful from a structural standpoint, but you obviously learn that there's a lot of nuance involved. Um, One of the things we've actually tried to do in our office is is really educate our constituents and other people on when when is the best time and place to be able to affect legislation. And um, one thing that was surprising to me, I guess it shouldn't have been, but it it somewhat was, is that – by the time something gets to the floor, the issue has largely been decided. Uh, but you can be incredibly effective uh, when something is in subcommittee. Uh, oftentimes, if something gets out of subcommittee, you got a really good chance of it of making it to the floor and, and passing. And so we've been telling a lot of our constituents that, you know, get involved early, get in touch with our office, and, and we can help that help that happen, help you influence the right people necessary uh, to get a bill out of subcommittee and committee and, and really give it a fighting chance. Um, and then obviously there's other consider- considerations I don't think come as a surprise to anyone. There's, you know, basically the, the deals that are made and, and it's not quite as nefarious as, as it's sometimes out to be made uh, or sometimes made out to be. That's it's not, not house of cards or anything. 
No, no, no. Yeah. We're not, we're not pushing anybody <laughs> in front of subway buses. Um, but, but I mean, there, there is that, that natural, um, you know, on some things that just makes sense, you know, I have a piece of legislation and there's another piece of legislation that legislation is somewhat complementary. Which one do we think has the best chance? How do we how do we negotiate in order to get to those those two or three extra votes we need to get it out to the floor? Um, again, some of that, I think, is, is very benign. Uh, others I'm not a little bit <laughs> I'm not as happy with. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's just it's making sure you're doing that hard work and uh, going through and, and lobbying as a legislator, lobbying your fellow legislators, uh, you know, beforehand, before those important subcommittee and committee votes. Perfect. You know, the first time I actually saw you speak was uh, several months ago during the general election. We were at a MACPAC rally and you came with several other uh, delegates and state senators to speak. And, you know, you. For me, a libertarian, I never thought I'd hear a Republican say this, but you referred to certain progressive policies as a monopoly of violence. And um, I I just don't hear a lot of Republicans speak like you. So I'm just curious, when you look at a bill, when you're deciding how you want to vote on something, what's kind of your criteria for how you do that? Because I'd like to say that I think every Republican should use the Constitution as their guiding line. But I mean, let's just admit it. We see this at the federal level. A lot of Republicans don't necessarily do that sometimes. So what's your criteria for what earns your support and what doesn't? So, so you're telling me you don't run into a lot of Republicans that actually know what the non-aggression principle is? <laughs> oh, my gosh, um, you'd be amazed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, well, I think, you know, there's, there's four, well, let me put it this way. When I first started running for office and, um, and I was drafted to run, I certainly was not putting my hand up saying, pick me. Um, but I said, okay, there's, there's four criteria that I, I generally look at when I review legislation. And, and the first criteria is, is it constitutional? Uh, because I do believe that the power starts, political power starts with the individual, and then it's there's there's a portion of that's delegated to an elected body. Um, but the Constitution is a contract, and so anything not delegated to me by the Constitution, well, that, that's dead on arrival. I, I don't care how good an idea it is, if I don't have constitutional authority to be able to address it, then it's just it's not up to my purview, uh, and better left in the hands of, of free people working through voluntary cooperation. Uh, the second criteria I look at is, is this a legitimate function of government? So I, I actually lament that there's certain things that the Constitution allows us to do uh, that I don't think we should. And so uh, I, I take that portion very seriously. Is this something that I think falls into the proper purview uh, of government, which at the end of the day is force? It's it's the legal application of force. Um, the third question I ask is, what's the appropriate level of government to deal with a particular issue? And I, my default position is usually try to keep things local. And then I would say, uh, finally, after that, the, the question I ask myself is, does the proposed uh, legislation protect individual liberty and private property rights? Uh, because if it doesn't do that, then chances are we're, we're creating a bigger issue than, than anything that we think that we're solving. So that, that's the four criteria that I, that I use whenever I look at a piece of legislation. Sir, I think that's a good stopping point for now. We're going to go ahead and hit our first commercial break. Folks, you're listening to the Remster Republic. Hang on tight. We'll be right back right after this commercial break. The voice of the Liberty Generation, Remzo W. Martinez. Take the show on the go by subscribing to the Remzo Republic on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and YouTube. Don't be left out. What are they teaching our children these days? How can so many young people graduate 
and become socialists? Do they even know what socialism is? Kids are learning how to preserve the environment, or are they learning how to preserve their own liberty? How about introducing your children to, I don't know, these fundamental principles that helped create the greatest, most prosperous nation in the world? I don't know about you, but when I become a parent, I'm going to read my kids The Chronicles of Kibblestan by Andrea Rand. A little bit of Narnia, a little bit of Atlas Shrugged, kids are loving this exciting saga about a fantastical land struggle to be free. Filled with humor and suspense, Kibblestan is a treat for any kid, or even adults, I mean I enjoyed reading it, it's for anyone that enjoys reading fantasy. But also, it has the added bonus of introducing some basic principles of liberty as it constantly ponders the question, what does it take for a land to stay free? There's even questions at the end of each book to facilitate conversation with your children, including a student group or a book club. The Chronicles of Kibblestan by Andrea Rand is currently available on Amazon.com, or you can visit www.kibblestan.com. Liberty is worth preserving. Are you in? Make sure to subscribe to all the podcasts on the Libertarian Wing Media Podcast Network on Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher, such as the Alex Merced cast with interesting interviews with interesting people every week. Breaking progressives, spending time every week breaking down left-wing narratives and showing what's real and what's fake. Economics Why Not, a weekly look at economics and applying economic principles to daily life. Better Today, a weekly podcast where we take a look on ways to improve your life and be better today. Libertarian Commons is a podcast where we play audio from the video archives of Alex Merced from his videos dating back to 2008. Liberty Public Access, a podcast where anyone can submit an episode. Submit your episodes to Alex Merced at alexmerced.com. Have you been wanting to start your own podcast? Then subscribe to Podcast and Logging Tips and Tricks, a weekly podcast about how to host your podcast, how to produce your podcast, and how to market your podcast. We'll be adding some monthly podcasts to the lineup soon, including Make Markets Free Again, a monthly look at what's going on in markets and regulation all over the world, and the Free VST podcast, looking at free VST instruments for electronic music producers. Listen to these podcasts by going to libertarianwingmedia.com or subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And if you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends and leave a positive review on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Here. Perfect. So to, to kind of give you a little bit of a background on myself, I've I was never a Republican until maybe two months ago. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends that are conservatives. I have a lot of friends who are very, you know, die in the wool GOP supporters. But for me, I was just, you know, I, I never liked the political party game. I mean, my kind of outlook on politics was I never believed in Romney versus Obama. I believed in 
you know, is the individual free or is he not free? So I guess my political, you know, outlook on things has always been kind of skewed. But what we saw in this previous election was that we have kind of a a changing of the guard for the most part. Um, Heritage Foundation economist Stephen Moore recently went to Congress and stated that the GOP is no longer the party of Reagan. It's the party of Trump. The GOP is no longer a conservative party, but a populist workers party. And I know a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. But I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that statement because what we've, we've seen what populist progressivism has come and done in the past. So what are your views on that? I know I'm, I'm definitely, I, I don't agree with that. I guess I should say right up front. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I was asked at a, at a Republican meeting once, someone said, do you think that the issue is no longer about conservative liberal, but about nationalism versus globalism? And, and I said, absolutely not. In, in fact, I, I don't even really like those terms because I don't think they're well-defined. Uh, if you want a good example of a, of a, of a nationalist, um, you know, Kim Jong-un is a perfect example. I don't think that's helped North Korea. You know, if, if you want, so it's, it's what, do, what do we mean when we actually use these terms? If you mean a nationalist in the sense that you're proud of, of your country's institutions and you're, and you're proud of your community's institutions and you take pride in being American, then yes, I am right there with you. Absolutely. Um, but if you mean nationalist as we're going to set up a protectionist trade policy and um, xenophobia, which, by the way, I don't think that's I, I don't think that's what um, many people in the Republican Party. I don't think that's what Trump supporters, you know, I don't think that's their default position either. But there's certainly some people that feel that way, that in order to be a good patriotic American, you've got to you've got to fear trade or or, um, or, or fear free trade. And I, I certainly don't want to see that to be the, the, the future of the Republican Party. And the same thing with globalist. You know, wh- what do you mean? If, if by globalist you mean somebody that believes in in binding international treaties whereby, you know, far away, uh, you know, conglomerations of, of representatives that may or may not be elected by the people or setting rules uh, for your country, well, then, yeah, absolutely. I can't stand globalism. If you mean globalism is, is opening up to world markets and, and being able to uh, exchange freely, well, then I think that's a great idea. So uh, one of the biggest problems I think we have right now is just properly defining our terms. And and for me, I, I'm the easiest way I can say it is I'm a pro-liberty guy, which means to say that the government has a certain and important role to play, but it's largely to protect your, your freedom and your property. It's not to live your life for you. It's not to tell you what, what you can and cannot buy or how much you should work for. Uh, protect my liberty, protect my property, and then leave everything else to voluntary association among free people. Do you think holding those views makes you kind of like an albatross within the GOP today? Or do you think we're going to start seeing more of that liberty vibe pop out as, you know, the current administration, as the next administration comes into power and we see what, you know, a Republican controlled government looks like? Well, I think it's going to be, there's going to be something of a a cultural shift in the Republican Party. And I'm not sure it's going to go along uh, traditional lines. I don't think it's going to go along a particular ideological line 100%. But I'm going to continue to make the case that the Republican Party should be the party for liberty. Um, that yeah, there, there's going to be various things, and, and that's not necessarily a, a, a hard and fast libertarian version of that, but certainly to be the party that is 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 um, fighting for the expansion of human freedom and, and recognizing that at the end of the day, 
uh, government and laws in general, laws don't solve problems. Laws create incentives, they create disincentives, and they create a mechanism. Uh, but that's it. And if we just take a harder look at what are some of the unintended consequences, or, or like I tell many of my friends on the left, I'll say, you know, take, take some of the most controversial issues that we face today. And let's see how controversial they are when we simply take them out of the role of government. We, we take them out of the purview of government. So, for instance, you have I, I'm, I am a dedicated Christian. I believe in a very narrow definition of marriage. But I also believe that the, the state is not what gives my marriage significance. So if we, if we simply took this question out of the hands of the state instead of rapidly expanding the definition, okay, is it, is it a – sure, it may be a controversial issue. Sure, it may be something that separates me from my friends. But because we've taken it out of the hands of state, neither side is trying to coerce the other into believing one thing or the other. We're free to associate or not associate. And, and I think – I think that's a powerful message to take to people, that at the end of the day, yes, I have my beliefs. They're strongly held. I'd like an opportunity to convince you to take them. But at the end of the day, true coexistence is not a bumper sticker you put on your car. Coexistence is resisting or rejecting the urge to coerce those whom you can't convince. And government is a form of coercion. So let's keep it limited to the things that are an appropriate role for government. Sir, you're, you're kind of blowing my mind right now because – no, like seriously, you're using terms that I've never heard another Republican, except maybe, I don't know, I'll say Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee. I've never heard another Republican really kind of utter the things you're talking about. Coercion, voluntary interaction. I'm just curious, where where, where did your conservative roots kind of lie? Was it something you were raised with? Were you self-educated? Was it something that you got while working in the military? I mean, where? how did you get to where you are now at this point, talking the way you do? Uh, when I first registered as a Republican on my 18th birthday, because my mother was very involved in the Republican Party, um, I, I probably had more of what you might call a, I mean, I hate to use the word establishment just because I think, again, another ill-defined term at this point, but I would have always considered myself a conservative, but I definitely saw a larger role for the state. And I think a, a combination of uh, serving in the military, uh, a lot of reading, a lot of listening to other people and their opinions has changed over time. I, I think, I mean, if I had chalk it up to, to one author in particular, you know, uh, Frederick Bastiat um, was just incredibly influential. I, I found his arguments to be very compelling. Um, the other thing, too, and this is something that usually shocks people, is I always say, look, you know, as a Christian – Christianity promotes nonviolence, which is, is not to say that there's never an appropriate role for violence. Clearly, I, th I think there is. But when it comes to coercing free people or, or peaceful people, it, it's just not acceptable. I, I, have, I, have a right to some, I have a right to try to convince you, uh, and you have a right to try to convince me. But at the end of the day, again, we, we shouldn't be coercing one another. So I would say everything from my upbringing to my Christian faith to my time in the military to authors like uh, Bastiat, Thomas Sowell, Milton Friedman, um, Thomas Jefferson, uh, John Locke. Uh, that, that's all probably <laughs> all that together conspired to, I guess, make me the kind of Republican I am today and inform my political philosophy. That's awesome. And, sir, that's a great stopping point for now. Folks, we're going to go ahead and take our final commercial break. Hang on tight. We'll be back right after this commercial break. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com. Make sure to visit libertarianwingmedia.com, where you can find articles written by libertarians all over the world on all of today's issues. Check out our podcast network with monthly and weekly podcasts. Check out our Libertarian t-shirt store with t-shirts like Make Markets Free Again 
and make markets, not war. And you too can become an author at Libertarian Wing Media and write what you want, when you want. Just email alexmerced at alexmerced.com. Thank you very much. standing in front of the Victims of Communism Memorial in Washington, D.C., dedicated to over 100 million souls who died because of a toxic ideology. And I'm thinking of a new YouGov survey that shows that one-third of millennials actually believe that George W. Bush killed more people than Joseph Stalin. Moving forward, some 40% of millennials don't even know who Mao Zedong is. Here's the fact check. Under Joseph Stalin and Vladimir Lenin, some 67 million souls perished. Mao Zedong killed somewhere between 35 and 45 million people. I understand why young people believe the things that they believe because they are not taught about these socialist atrocities in school. But facts are facts. Socialism kills. Get more from Matt Kibbe at www.freethepeople.org. All right, folks, kind of wrap things up. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, in Virginia, we've got another election going on. I can just... Okay, let me see. I'm, I'm listening outside my window. Yeah, people are screaming as they hear that. So that's perfectly fine. So, sir, we see we saw the Republicans just sweep the country. We have 33 Republican governors. Almost two-thirds of the state legislatures have Republicans in both chambers. The Republicans control the federal government. In Virginia... There should be really no excuse for the Republicans not to just sweep the governorship, but everything down ballot. So what are your kind of predictions going forward this year? And what are the things that kind of excite you and the things that you feel people need to worry about as they go to the voting booth? Well, I mean, I am excited because I think we saw a lot of involvement um, that we haven't seen before. Um, and, you know, again, Trump wasn't my first choice. And, and I've, I've been skeptical of some of the things he said he's going to do and other things I've been very encouraged. Uh, but I do think the wind is at our back right now. It's certainly not certainly not liberal progressivism. And so it, it really it really comes down to, you know, you have you have some Republicans that think that we just have to be more more moderate or more leftist in order to, to get elected in Virginia, simply because of the growth of northern Virginia. Um, I, I just I reject that. I think at the end of the day, if we can be the pro-liberty party and we can make that argument and we can actually paint that vision of with Republicans in power, you just to, for instance, with Republicans in power, you're going to have an opportunity to have a consumer driven education. You're going to have an opportunity to send your child to a school and have real options to be able to provide for their education and set them up for, for economic and social success instead of being constantly, you know, um, restricted to only government options. When, when we can paint pictures like that, we can show people that there, there's a substantive difference. It's not just about the philosophy of it, which is important, but they can they can create that image in their mind of if this, then that. 
uh, I think we win because at the end of the day, we have a better message. The liberal progressivism at the end of the day is a philosophy based on coercion. And it's one that is essentially um, rooted in, in envy. It, it's this idea that there's just that wealth isn't created. It just exists. And it's all about how do we carve up the pie, which is, is kind of depressing. Uh, this idea that if you don't if you don't elect the right representative, you won't be able to subsist. You know, that's not the sort of government anybody wants at the end of the day. And the only way you get something like that is if you if you scare people into it. So if if we stop you know, shooting each other in the Republican Party and start focusing on, hey, we have a pro we have a, a pro liberty message uh, that not only works economically, but I would argue is is works morally. It really speaks to the human condition far better than than statism does. I, I think we win, but we we've got to make sure that we're going in and again not changing the principles, but let's let's change our messaging when we're talking to different groups so that we can talk about it in a way that's relevant to them and their lives. So I, I think we've got some great candidates out there. Um, again, a lot of it will be based, it, it always is. It's based on the grassroots. Are people going out and are they talking to their friends and, and are we making good arguments? And if we do that, we win. That's perfect. I'm glad you bring that up, sir. Um, I grew up in Fairfax County for most of my teenage years. Now I'm attending Liberty University. And what you see in the Commonwealth is like this schizophrenic culture. The farther south you go, it's more rural, it's more conservative. And then when you just look at Nova, I mean, it might as well be its own different state. Now, when I, when I was working in uh, Northern Virginia over the summer, I mean, it's it's incredibly progressive. You're not going to find another libertarian or you're not going to find another conservative. If you were like throw a rock into a crowd, you're probably going to hit like 20 liberals. But the thing I don't get, especially from the progressive mindset, is one thing that really excites me about the future is the gig economy. Things like Airbnb, Uber, all these new app based services. And I see a lot of young progressives taking advantage of them. Um, I did a study on an Uber driver. He was a kid. He was making up to 1200 a week just driving on the side in his mom's minivan. And then when it comes to the voting booth, they're going to go ahead and vote for progressive policies. So assume, assume I'm a progressive Democrat. W- what's the one thing that you would try and bring up to me so we could find some common ground and possibly convince me to vote Republican in this upcoming election? Well, first of all, the things that you brought up are actually excellent examples. Um, I just I'm a, I'm embarrassed to say I've always been an advocate for Uber, but I just used it for the first time this last weekend. <laughs> and yeah, I, I would be willing to bet that that most of the drivers I had were, were probably to the left of the spectrum, even though they were enjoying something that was essentially a, a rebellion against constricted markets. Um, so here's what I here's what I usually do when I'm talking to someone, and maybe I don't know much about them, but I know they're a liberal progressive. Um, I usually start off by by listening to them, listening to what they have to say and what their end state is. And generally, their end state is the same of ours. They want people to be free, prosperous, um, and independent. And and I'll come back and I'll listen to their solutions and I'll say, you know what? I really agree with your end state. I'm just not as comfortable with violence as you are. And this really throws them off their game. They'll just look at me because they just assume that they're the altruistic, peaceful one, and I'm the warmonger, you know, Republican. I said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not as comfortable with violence as you are. And what do you mean by that? I said, well, let me give you an example. Um, we both want the same insight. The difference is, is that I'll come up to you and I'll say, you know what? I really think you should donate to the Red Cross or the Salvation Army or whatever it is uh, for this reason, because I, I think you're going to be able to you know, work in people's lives. I think you're going to be able to meet them, their physical needs, you know, maybe meet their emotional needs where they're at and, and help them become you know, more productive citizens or get them out of a tight spot. And, and you may say yes or you may say no. 
but regardless of what your answer, um, we can agree to disagree or we can agree and collaborate and work together and, and there's no force. The difference is, is you're going to come up to me and you're going to say, I want a government program to achieve X, Y, or Z. And maybe it'll do a good job and maybe it won't. But at the end of the day, if I say no, I don't want to participate, you're going to use violence against me. You're going to take my, you're going to take my property. You're going to take my freedom. Uh, depending on how hard I resist, you know, I mean, you might take a lot more than that. And so the only thing I, I ask them to consider is that if, if you really believe in peaceful coexistence, if you really believe in tolerance for other viewpoints, then, then I would say you have to rethink the processes that you are going to attempt to use to make the world a better place. And, and that, usually, that usually puts the conversation – again, it defines terms. It puts the conversation on a different uh, plane to where we understand this isn't about enemies warring for a particular uh, process. It's about people working together to achieve a common end state and to do so in, in a peaceful manner and to not try to come up with these overly burdensome, restrictive government policies, which uh, don't adapt to technology well, don't adapt to uh, new ideas well. Uh, and, and again, I, I found I found a lot of success with that. It, that doesn't mean that you know instantly they see the light and and you know again they they start reading Bastiat and you know let's you know let's all be free and prosperous together. But it it, it does paint a perspective that they're not used to hearing from Republicans or or conservatives or or I would even argue some libertarians. Exactly, sir. I think that's the perfect place to wrap up the show today. If people want to learn more about you, follow you on social media, contact your office, how can they do so? Sure. So we're, we're on Facebook and Twitter. It's just uh, uh, Nick Freitas for Delegate. Um, and then our website is uh, nickjfreitas.com. That's N-I-C-K-J-F-R-E-I-T-A-S.com. But again, if you just Google Nick Freitas, uh, our Facebook, our Twitter, our website, all of that comes up. Delegate Freitas, it's been an absolute honor having you on the show, sir. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you again. Pleasure's been all mine. Folks, you heard the man. Get out. Go educate yourself. Go be active. And remember, everything comes back to this. It's about voluntary cooperation within people. It's about understanding that if we have a situation in front of us, the first question should be, what is the role of the individual? What is the role of the government? And how can we do this cooperatively, peacefully, in order to create a more prosperous society? Now, what's one thing you could do to create a more prosperous society? Well, I mean, come on, you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or everywhere, or you can just check us out, www.remsorepublic.com. As always, go be awesome, be kind to your neighbor. I'm Remso W. Martinez. Good night, America. Stay connected to Liberty's Rabble Rouser on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episodes, blogs, and other available content. What are you waiting for? 